Amen. Amen. Welcome, church. Welcome, everyone. Uh, <clears throat> Christian didn't plan on singing that in Spanish, but I asked him to do that for us and uh, praise God for the gifts that he's given his church. And uh, praise God for you. If you are uh, needing bilingual language this morning, um, we do have headsets in the back for you to hear the, the uh, sermon in Spanish. And we are are loving that our gifted people in the church are able to translate as I speak. Manny Vasquez is translating for us this morning. We are in our series, Gifted to Give, as David mentioned. It is family worship, so our children are with us this morning, and we will be specifically speaking to you children as well at one point in the series, so be ready as I may call on you at any moment. Uh, but... Uh, I just want to make sure you guys are aware. You may be in your bulletin this morning and think that there are three points. We are only going to get through point number one this morning, okay? And we will pick up points two and three next week. There is too much to do in point one this morning, and it is family worship. So that's all I have to say on that. But uh, we are not going to be able to get through all of the points this morning We'll get through the first three verses in 1 Corinthians 12. But God has given us the greatest gift, has he not? God himself to come and dwell in our hearts as the triune God comes to walk alongside of us as our counselor. The gift of the Spirit is given because of the gift of God in Christ Jesus. He gave his life for us. He washed us clean that he may now come to dwell in his church, his people. This is exciting. And at that point, we lay down our life for him. And the spirit that lives in our hearts, in our minds, in our life, who guides us in all truth, empowers us to live for the glory of God, reflecting Christ with our life. So in the first installment, we ask the question, what are spiritual gifts for? And Paul says, as he goes to Rome to give a spiritual gift, he goes to do what? To strengthen the body of Christ, to encourage them. This idea of we are gifted in the Spirit to give to one another. Romans chapter 1 verse 11, For I long to see you that I may impart or I may give to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. In the second installment, the second week, we saw what spiritual gifts are. So not only are they gifted to get, are we gifted to give, what are they for, but what are they? They are manifestations of the Spirit. 
1 Corinthians 12, 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. They are a showing of the Spirit of the living God. Literally, these gifts show the character, the nature of God himself. They express who God is through you in your life. We define them as unique supernatural abilities, unique supernatural abilities given to every Christian to build up the church for the glory of Christ. Last week we saw the spirit of adoption as children of God are people who are led by this spirit because they actually want to be led Therefore, they cry out to God as their father, Abba, Father. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So we could summarize everything that we've learned these three weeks in one sentence. We have been gifted to give a showing of the spirit of the living God as we, God's people, desire to be led by the spirit, okay? That's it. I'll say it one more time. We have been gifted to give a showing of the spirit of the living God as we, God's people, desire to be led by the spirit. Nice language, Pastor Rob. But how does this work? Right? That's what you're asking. How does this work? You talk about the Spirit. You talk about the Holy Spirit. What does this actually look like? How does this thing work? We're going to look at that question today in how do spiritual gifts work? And I don't want you to be uninformed as Paul says in our text today. This is the Spirit at work. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. We're going to read all the way through 6, but again, we're only going to be able to get through 3 this morning. So if you'll stand with me in the reading of God's Word, we're going to open up to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. As we read God's Word together, as it, it is the manna that we need today. Amen? Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers... I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now... There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. I'll go ahead. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You can be seated this morning. Let's pray. Father, we ask that our time with you would be fruitful 
that we, that we come together as the body of Christ, gifted in different ways. Father, we pray that we would use and express, Father, who you are through our life for the glory of God. And Father, we would not do this of our own work, our own way, but we would do this in the spirit of the living God that lives inside of us, that speaks through us. We pray that you, you would speak this morning to our hearts and our minds, that we would know and understand the work of God in the lives of his people. We thank you and praise you for Jesus Christ and the grace that you have given us through Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Before I exposit this text this morning, I need you to hear a little story, okay? And the story is of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, in the story, in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 1, Jesus has resurrected from the dead. Amen? I'll say it again. Jesus has risen from the dead. Yeah, there you go. That's, that's not something we should just gloss over lightly, right? Jesus has risen from the dead. And he says to his disciples, wait for the promise of the Father. He calls it the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the, the washing or immersion of the Holy Spirit. Wait for the Holy Spirit. He's coming. So the disciples spend 10 days in prayer. And suddenly, as they're praying in a room, suddenly there comes from heaven a sound. And it sounded like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house in which they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Just in case you don't believe me, let's read it together, okay? Real quick. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, it's 50 days after the Passover. Jesus left 40 days, so there's 10 days in between. They were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now I want to point out a couple things before we get into 1 Corinthians 12 when we're talking about the Spirit speaking Jesus is Lord. Number one, I want us to see this picture of the wind. The mighty rushing wind of God. In Hebrew, the same name for spirit, ruach, is wind or breath or spirit. 
As Jesus talks to Nicodemus, he uses this this picture of wind to speak of the Spirit as well. John chapter 3, verse 6, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Here it is, verse 8, John chapter 3. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with people who are born of the Spirit. So Jesus is talking about the Spirit is like wind. You hear it, but you can't see it. You hear the Spirit because it sounds like a mighty rushing wind. Now I believe the Spirit can work in silence and I would like to be better at being silent to hear from the Lord Yet the Holy Spirit does not work in the advancement of the kingdom in silence alone. Why? Because faith comes from hearing. Therefore, the picture we understand here is the mighty rushing wind of God burst forth through the proclamation of His gospel. So when Paul says you are attracted to mute idols, yet now you speak in the spirit of the living God, this is what he means. The spirit speaks life to dead, dry bones. When we hear the spirit speaking through the proclamation of God's word, we know that it is there. We may not see him or know where he comes from, but he shows himself through the hearing of his word. What happens when they heard the wind? The mighty rushing wind filled the house. I don't know about you, but when a mighty rushing wind like a tornado or a hurricane, we we understand tornado in Oklahoma. When a tornado comes to my house, it falls down, right? But this wind did not harm the people or the house. Instead, it filled the house. Remember when I said that ruach can mean wind, or spirit, or breath. The meaning here is that the breath of God now makes his people a new creation. He fills man. He fills the house with a gust from heaven as he fills his lungs with a passion and zeal for the Lord his God. This is the empowerment of the Lord for people, God's people, to do his work. When God fills a man with the spirit of the living God, he has no more room for the lust of the flesh because the spirit has filled the house. This is what God does as the word of God is heard and then the spirit fills the house or the person. 
What is the second symbol here besides the mighty rushing wind that fills the house? It is the divided tongues of fire. We think of God as a consuming fire. And yet the disciples in which it came to rest upon the flaming tongues of fire were not burned. Why? Because it's like the bush that's on fire that did not burn. We know that from Moses. The bush is burning, yet it's not consumed. And they are in the presence of God and not consumed. Think of like the tree of life on fire and not consumed. Now God's people are on fire and not consumed. Why? Because they have been prepared and purified for the true fellowship of God himself. They are in the presence of God and he comes to dwell in and among his people. And the gospel has done this. The gospel has allowed the very presence of God to come upon his people. They are on fire and not consumed. What does fire also do? It gives light. And now God's people, what do they do? Illuminate the truth of God's word through the power of the spirit. John 16, 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. But it was not just fire. It was tongues of fire. For God meant to have, what? A speaking church. Not a silent church. Not a church that would fight with the sword. No, a church that had the sword proceeding out of its mouth by speaking the very words of God. This is the spirit of the living God who is alive and speaks truth in the people who are filled with the spirit. And what happens when you put these two pictures of the mighty rushing wind and fire together and the tongue that's ablaze? A force incomprehensible of power and might that cannot be stopped. A forest fire set ablaze to expand and extend the kingdom of God. The Lord then takes these symbols and makes it a reality with the disciples in that they are filled with the Spirit. And what do they speak? They cannot help but speak the mighty works of God. And they speak in a way that people understand them. Even if it is in different languages, the people know what they are hearing. They are declaring the mighty works of God. Then Peter stands up and he preaches the word in the power of the Spirit. And the people respond. And what do they respond? What shall we do to be saved? Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people come to faith on that day. 
But what a picture, right? What a picture of what God is wanting to do amongst his church. In Acts chapter 2, now we can get to 1 Corinthians 12, right? Now we can understand when Paul is talking about mute idols, idols that don't speak, and people who speak, Jesus is Lord in the spirit of the living God. So let's look at it together. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Paul begins the statement here with now concerning spiritual things. And the, that word right there. Spiritual gifts translated in the ESV can either mean spiritual things or spiritual people. But later he will define these spiritual things. In verse 4 he defines them as gifts. In verse 5 he defines it as service. In verse 6 he defines it as activities or work. So Paul is talking about spiritual matters. People indwelt with the Spirit. We would call these things spiritual gifts. Now I told you the background on speaking, on the speaking Spirit from Acts chapter 2 to compare it here in verse 2 or verse, yes, verse 2, with the mute idols that declare the church formerly followed as pagans. Now, boys and girls, I'm, I told you I would speak to you. So, kids, we're going we're gonna to speak for a minute. So, if you're, if you're coloring or drawing, I want to talk to you for one minute. All right? So, here it is. An idol is something that they would create, all right? So an idol is something that they would design. So let's take a block of wood, and they would make a little statue out of that wood. And that wood they would put in their home, on their mantle, on their fireplace, and they would worship that little statue that they have created. Now, what does that mean? We, we don't do that. We, we, we don't do that. But what does it mean? You create your own God. You make God how you want him to be, right? And so... When you do that, you say, God is not this way as he has defined himself to be. I want to make God this way. All right, thank you, boys and girls. We have...
just shown you what idolatry is. And men and women, <laughs> we'll just say that. But making God who you want him to be, creating your own God. Think about that. Idolatry is nothing more than just creating your own God. I determine what is right and wrong. That's why idolatry is such a big deal. That's why from the history of the world, people all over the world have bowed down to little statues because they can determine what their God looks like. What they want him to be. Jordan and I saw idolatry up close and personal when we were missionaries in Thailand. There are 40,000 temples in Thailand. 40,000 temples of, of idolatry in Thailand. And they're filled with idols. Statues of the Buddha, Hindu gods everywhere. Restaurants, homes, outside, in their gardens, in their temples. All sorts of places they would honor the Buddha by chanting, praying, giving alms, food, light, incense, all to these statues. They would not call it worship, interestingly enough. But as Martin Luther said it best, that which your heart clings and entrusts itself is really your God. And when you see this event, when people are prostrating themselves before a you know a bronze statue you cannot help but weep as people entrust themselves to mute idols the bible talks about this idolatry when you worship these idols you become like them Psalm chapter 115 verse 4 says this, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them... Become like them. So do all who trust in them. So those who worship idols become like them, become lifeless. They become worthless. They become mute. But not so with those who are led by the Spirit of the living God. Jeremiah puts it quite humorously, Jeremiah 10, 5, their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field. I don't know what a cucumber field looks like, but I know what a scarecrow looks like. They cannot speak, they have have to be carried, for they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, neither is it in them to do good. Isaiah humorously says people, when they make idols, they cut a piece of wood in half and one half they throw into the fire and warm themselves and the other half they carve into an idol 
and sit and worship it. This is what Isaiah says in Isaiah 44, 18. They know not, nor do they discern, for he shut their eyes so they cannot see in their hearts, so they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is their knowledge of discernment to say, half of it I burned in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and have eaten. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray and he cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? Lifeless, useless, mute as the idol. That's what you were. People who worshiped idols but not now church not now why you are people filled with the spirit of the living God because you declare Jesus is Lord amen you are no longer mute I I hear some clapping out there that's all right we can clap we can clap you know, you are no longer lifeless. You are full of purpose and meaningful service. You are not worthless now, but useful to the Lord. And most of all, you are not mute. You speak what it is that is truth. And what is that? Who is this Jesus? He is Lord. Amen? Let's read it together. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Spirit. This is point number one, and your only point this morning. The foundation of a spiritual person is that they confess Christ as Lord. All of the spiritual gifts come from this. All of the spiritual activities, all of the spiritual work, all of the work of the church comes from this first. The confession of Christ as Lord. Isn't that beautiful? You declare Jesus is Lord. You can't help that. Because that is a trait of someone who is led by the Spirit of the living God. Why? Because the rushing wind of the Spirit fills you to the point where you must express the greatness of God. You must express Christ is God. You speak that He is the Messiah, the promised one, that He is Lord. That he is the one that you follow. You speak of his wonder and his beauty. You speak of his grace and his mercy. What he did for you upon the cross. You You cannot help but speak of the grace of God and the glory of Christ. The Spirit speaks. The Spirit speaks. Through you. 
The Spirit speaks to the bones, your dead bones, those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. He speaks to them, and the bones become rattling. They begin to rattle. Can you hear it? It begins to rattle and shake. Your bones may be shaking this morning. And they make a beautiful sound as they come together and God breathes life into those dead bones. Once dead bones fixated on dead and lifeless idols now become an exceedingly great army that God resurrects and breathes life into through the Holy Spirit and they declare as one, Jesus is Lord. This is how the Spirit works. What do we mean Jesus is Lord? What do we mean by that statement? Well, number one, we mean that he is God. Doubting Thomas, when he doubted Jesus' resurrection, when he saw the hands and feet of Christ, when he realizes Jesus is Lord, he says, my Lord and my God. At the end of Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2, Peter says something very similar, that Jesus is not only Lord, but he's Savior or Christ, the Messiah. Acts 2.30 said, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. You can hear the Spirit speaking through Peter. Declare him as Lord. What shall we do, Peter, to be saved? Declare him in your heart and your mind that Jesus is the Lord. That God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Jesus is Lord means he has been given all authority. He is the Lord of all. He is the master of all. He is the ruler. For you kids, he is the boss. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And we submit our lives to him. Guess what? We follow him and we declare it with our mouth in the spirit of the living God. That's how the spirit is working in your life today. Church, confess Christ is Lord in your home. When you go to school, when you go to work, when you sit by your bed, when you're frustrated, when you're tired, with your children, in your sickness. Declare him to be Lord today over your marriage, Lord over your time, Lord over your money. Declare Christ is the Lord of your life. Only by the spirit of the living God can you declare that. Only because God has pricked your heart to believe it can you say it. Church, what's the opposite of declaring Christ as Lord? It says here in the text, 
I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. The Spirit that says Jesus is accursed is against God. The word in the Greek, accursed or cursed, is anathema. It means annihilated. It literally means you want Jesus to be made nothing. You want Jesus to be destroyed, to be wiped out. This is what it means to be against God and against his anointed. You see, one who worships idols or worships self says Jesus is not Lord. And thus they are against the Lord and against his anointed. Did you know this is a war? It's a spiritual war. Did you think it was going to be easy, church, to declare Jesus as Lord? It's not. Because the spirit of the Antichrist wants people to declare Jesus is accursed. That's not who we are. This is not God's church. We are people who are filled with the spirit of the living God. That means there's no room for idolatry because God dwells in his people. And we declare with a shout that Christ is Lord because the Spirit has been given us the ability to do that. So when you hear the Word of God, your spirit should shout, Christ is Lord. He convicts the soul of areas in which Christ is not Lord of your life. The mighty rushing wind of God, the word of God comes to you. And you must respond. I love the beautiful story in the Old Testament of God's people coming alive. The dry bones coming to life. Ezekiel chapter 37 verse 7, so I prophesied as I was commanded, the the Lord told Ezekiel, declare the word of the Lord. Declare the word of the Lord. And he did. And as I prophesied, there was a sound and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked and behold, there was sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them. I think of God takes this heart of stone and he makes it a heart of flesh. They can now feel They have touch. Their flesh 
They're not stone. He takes dead people and brings them to a heart of flesh. But it says there, but there was no breath in them. They had no life. They had no vigor. They had no energy to do God's work. They were still dead. And he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came into them and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. What does an army do? It moves. It defends And moves forward. God has brought about his church as an exceedingly great army in which he is filled by the spirit of God to be useful for the advancement of the kingdom of God. And he does that by people who first declare Jesus is Lord. Do not neglect the work of God in your life of declaring Christ as Lord. One of our three things that we do here of our missional goals, gospel life mission, number one is what? Gospel proclamation. We declare Christ Lord in our life. That's it. So do not neglect God's word in your life. Will you bow your heads with me? We're gonna move to a time of invitation and this means that if you have never declared Christ as Lord over your life, you have an opportunity to do that this morning. That means that you are invited to move. You're invited to raise up from your seat and move to the front. What that means is the spirit of the living God is telling you, you need to declare Christ as Lord in your life. And so as the music plays and people stand up, you come forward to the front to one of our pastors and you say, I want to declare Christ is the Lord of my life. That means he's the boss. That means he's the one I'm going to follow. It's this declaration of humility, of I need God in my life. I need Jesus to direct me. Jesus says, I'm coming to your life. The very presence of God is gonna come upon you and I'm gonna direct you in the way you should go. 
I'm going to wash you clean so that my presence can come upon you. This is God's declaration to his people. Jesus has paid for your sins upon the cross and you respond to him by saying, Jesus, you are my Lord. You have paid for my sins. So I'm going to pray for us. And then after the prayer, we're going to stand together. And as we stand together, that would be the time to come forward and talk to one of our pastors of what it looks like to declare Christ as Lord. We're going to probably pray with you as you declare Christ as Lord to God and to us. And then we're going to talk to you about what it means to be baptized. In declaring Christ as Lord in your life, that you no longer live, that Christ now lives in and through you. I cannot make it more clear that today is the day of salvation for you. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Father God, we ask that if you are are convicting of people according to your spirit, that they would come and be saved this morning that they would get up as these dry bones, Father, leaped for joy and stood up, and we pray that they would stand up and move forward, that they would declare Christ as Lord in their life. We ask in Jesus' name.